Welcome to Design Your Life in Business, the podcast for leaders by Bright Mind Consulting Group. We give you the necessary tools to help you become the architect of not just your business, but your life too. I'm your host, Javon Wooden. Hey, what's going on, Joe? Welcome to the Design Your Life in Business podcast. How you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. Excited to have you on. You're speaking about a topic that all business owners and leaders need to know, which is SEO. So we're going to kick it off with this question. Who is Joe Balestrino? Joe Balestrino is a digital marketer who's been around since professionally since 2004. I started my own agency by accident, actually. I was learning about SEO and how it worked because I started out as a web designer. And clients were asking me, hey, Joe, how do you rank for, how come you rank for affordable web design? I didn't even understand what that was. And so as I started learning more about it, I started writing about it. I had a podcast. And then before I knew it, I had people who were coming to me, you know, because I was giving away advice on how to do SEO. And they would try it out and they would say, oh, this works. I want to hire you. And then the next thing I know, I got this agency was called Mr. SEO at the time. and Since then, I've worked for agencies. I've owned an agency. I've worked in-house. I do coaching. I've written a couple of books. So I've kind of done full circle, you know, everything from the side hustle to freelancing to owning an agency to working for an agency, working on the client side. So I've been, you know, around the world pretty much. So you really are Mr. SEO is what you're telling me. I haven't used that in a long time, but yeah. (laughs) People used to call me Mr. SEO. And some people who know me a long time still call me that. But yeah, I mean, Mr. SEO was kind of where I, back then I thought SEO was the holy grail. And as I learned more about digital marketing, I realized that SEO is just a part of a bigger thing. You know, you got to tie in web design with paid search, social media, all that stuff works together. So, you know, in hindsight, if I had to go back, I probably wouldn't have named it Mr. SEO. (laughs) It's all good, man. It it worked out for you, whatever you did. So let's back up for a second. What the heck is SEO and why does it matter? Well, you know, search engine optimization, which is what SEO stands for, is ranking organically. And most people only care about Google, ranking in Google underneath the ads. So SEO is really, it's kind of evolved because back in the day, we would just go after some keywords and then we'd rank for it and then we cross our fingers like that it would bring business. And then Google Ads came around and then we started leveraging the data that we gathered from the ads to then create SEO strategies and then writing blog content. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. misinterpret like what blog content is and how to leverage it because blog content really to me is, you know, going after the longer tail search which means using more keywords but kind of more on the scale of answering a question. So example, I run Google ads, right? So I may try to optimize my landing page for Google ads expert or Google ads coaching, let's say. And then I may have a blog post that talks about, you know, when you should hire a coach or should you hire a coach for Google ads or Google ads training? And then then people who are thinking about it or not sure what it is that they want, will stumble upon the article, which will then lead them back to me. But if they know what they want, then we go after the keywords that we think or we know based on data that we want to go after. So SEO 
It's just kind of people say it's free, but nothing's really free. You still got to work at it, pay somebody to do it or spend your time learning how to do it. So it's not really free, but it's more organic and organic traffic usually converts better than paid traffic. So, you know, SEO is kind of, you know, the place to be in your marketing. You just don't want to do SEO, but it's just one piece of your marketing strategy. Gotcha. You said a couple of things there. So we're going to dissect it a little bit. So first off, use the word long tail search. So what is long tail versus a short tail search? So short tail search might be like Nike sneakers, right? It's only two words. It's kind of broad. You really don't know, you know, the search is kind of ambiguous because you don't really know. There's no description as to what type of Nike sneaker. Is it red? Is it blue? Is it white? But if somebody's looking for a men's Nike sneaker, red and white, now there's more keywords there, makes it longer tail. It narrows down the competition because it's not as competitive because it's more specific. In most cases, depending on what you're going after, more specific keywords are easier to rank for and easier to get business and traffic on. Got it. And how the heck do you even know which keywords to go for and where you're ranking at? Yeah. So the easiest way is to use tools. Like I use SEMrush and SEMrush is great because it lets me see, you know, the search volume for certain keywords, what my competitors are, are bidding on, what they rank for what content they're writing. And if you don't have access to those tools, and also SEMrush will let me see if I'm tracking keywords. So if I wrote a page on Google Ads coaching, I can put that keyword into SEMrush and SEMrush will go out to Google, put that keyword in there and come back and tell me where I rank for that keyword and what page ranks for those keywords. Because I want to make sure like the right page ranks for the keywords I'm trying to target. And then that helps me manage the account. That's what I do for clients. But for people who don't have access to these tools, you could just use Google. Like when you go to Google and you start typing things in, you'll notice like Google gives you suggestions. And those suggestions are based on what everybody else is searching, right? Google's number one because Google knows how to improve the experience. And so it uses all that data it has and it tries to guess what you're typing based on, you know, whatever it is you're typing, Google ads, and then you type C. And then it'll start showing you all the results based on the data they have. So what I would do if I didn't have tools is I would do those searches, see what, you know, what pops up that's relevant to me, see what Google suggests. And then I would go and see what type of sites rank for those keywords and see if they are my competitors. And if they are, they're in line with my business, then I know it's probably a keyword I need to go after. Where if it's a keyword that, you know, or key phrase that doesn't really resonate with my audience, what I'm trying to achieve, then I know that it's not the right one. But leveraging Google is is a great way to get, you know, that information. Okay. And I know Google has a ton of tools, like a whole suite of free tools, right? Um, Are there any specific Google tools you recommend, you know, the listeners take advantage of? Well, if you're running Google ads, like Google has a keyword tool there, keyword planner. You could use something like Google Trends. So with Google Trends, you can get a lot of information about what people are talking about. You can compare different terms to see what's most popular. So I wrote I wrote a book, maybe 2005 or six, about local marketing. And I use the example of dental office versus dental center. And you might think they're both the same thing, which they really are. But when you put it, at least back then, into 
Google Trends, you could see that certain parts of the country use dental center over dental office. So if you were in the Midwest, you were more likely to search dental center. And if you were on the East Coast, you were more likely to search dental office. So if you were you know, a dental office in the Midwest, you might want to change the keywords that you're targeting. And you could also see like other information, what's trending now, what people are talking about and data over seasonality. So if you sold something like I was working with a company that writes stories about football. And if you put in football into Google Trends, you'll see a graph and it's just, it follows the season. When it starts to pick up, same thing with baseball, you'll see spring training time, searches for baseball start going up all the way to World Series. And then when World Series is over, the searches drop. So it's a good way to identify trends to see, you know, how you should change your marketing efforts or what keywords you use at different times of the year. Got you. And that's a great point. Seasonality may come into play, especially depending on your business model. So when it comes to these keywords, how do you leverage them? So you start ranking for them. Do you just put them in some of your content, put them in your headers? What's the strategy there? Well, the first thing is you want to know what the key phrase you're going after. So I'll give an example of, let's say, construction. You do home remodeling. Home remodeling is the main thing that you do. And then you probably do kitchen remodeling and bathroom remodeling. So each one of those pages would be different. You would have a page just for kitchen remodeling because you're going to have photos of before and after kitchen remodeling. And so then you would start putting the keyword in the title tag. Like your focus is kitchen remodeling, maybe company or service or contract or whatever the keyword is that you decide you want to go after. And you would start there. And then you would probably put it into your subheader, some variation of that. You know, we used to match the title and the header on the page exactly, but now we do things a little bit different and we kind of mix it up a little bit, not making it exact match. And then we just talk naturally about what contracting is because back in the day, we used to really focus on hitting a percentage of how many times we mention a word on a page. Is it 3%, 2.5%, 3.5%? But now Google is way more advanced and Google is looking at topics like what is this page about? How does it pertain to search? How does it answer the person's search, right? Google wants people who are engaged and spending time on your web page. So if you did a search for New York kitchen remodeling companies and 10 people show up and the number one spot, somebody clicks it and they spend 10 seconds on it and they leave and they go to position five, and they spend two minutes, that's a signal to Google that whoever's in position five has got something more important, more engaging than the person in the first position. And usually it's because the content's more engaging, there's more information. It's understanding the audience and knowing what to give them, regardless of what you're doing, whether it's blog content, if it's blog content, how informative is it? Are you citing resources on the web? Is there video tied to it? Is there a podcast to it? Like what can keep people engaged and on the website longer and provide information, then you have the makings of content that will rank well. It's not always about how many times can I repeat kitchen contractor in the content because that doesn't really work anymore, you know? Right. You can't just keep saying the same word over and over and over again. It actually, does it penalize you if you do that these days? Oh yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, back in the day, it was crazy how easy it was. We would just put the same keyword over and over again in the footer, <laughs> hide it, you know, make it the same color as the footer 
and then nobody would see it and it would just rank. And back then too, it was easy because if you rank number one, Google didn't update their database for three months, sometimes even longer. So if you were in the number one spot, you knew you had that spot for months. But if you got hit or something happened and Google changed something and you fell, then you'd be stuck there for three months. It's not like Google now is updating constantly. So dynamic, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that brings up a point. I'm sure the whole audience and myself want to know, how the hell do you get that number one spot? What's the strategy, man? The strategy is just constant testing. And what I tell people is whenever you want to go after a keyword, Google it, see who shows up, and then look at all the pages that are there. Look at the content. If your page has got 350 words with an image and everybody on the first page has got 800 words of video, all these pieces of content and resources. If you think about it and you look at their page and you look at your page, you're going to say, well, my page is never going to rank because it's not as robust. It doesn't provide as much information. And so for me, the first part is, can I make my content better than what the competitors have? And then if so, then I know that I have the makings to potentially rank in the first spot. But then there's a lot of other things that go into play, interlinking with the website, getting links from other places, things like that, that come into play. But for me, the most important part is having the content that's going to trump what the competitor is doing, or at the very least, be in line with them. If they have videos, then you should have a video, because if everybody on the first page has a video, then you should probably have a video. But if your content is thin and it doesn't have a lot of content, it's not very informative then people aren't going to engage with it and you're not going to rank for it. So to me, it comes down to my philosophy is it's better to have good, high quality content than a lot of like poorly written or what I call thin content where it's not doesn't offer a lot of value. You're just wasting your time. You're better off writing comprehensive, useful content than it is just to crank out hundreds of pages of useless content. Got you. And then that brings up Another question about the unpaid versus off-page SEO. So is one better than the other or what are they? You know, let's start there. Well, I mean, to me, on-page is really important. Off-page obviously plays a role in it. Like Google is going to look at who is linking to you. It's harder to get links today than ever before because back then, you know, we had link exchanges. I would reach out to you and say, hey, link to me. I'll link to you. And then Google got wind of that and Google's like, no, that doesn't work. Then there's guest posting and there's other things that people can do. But the best kind is just if you write informative blog content, you're going to rank organically for the long tail. And those kind of articles usually get linked to, right? Most people don't link to. So if you have an e-commerce website, most people don't link to products unless they're doing a review of a product because most people don't say, hey, I just bought this product, check it out, go link to it unless they're doing you know, product reviews. So it's kind of harder to get links. But if you wrote blog posts comparing your product to another product or you sold, let's say, men's wallets and you were comparing all the men's wallets, now that might be something that other people would link to because it's interesting and you're saving people time by having to do all the research themselves in this blog post, people will link to that. And then those links will pass over if you're linking to your e-commerce store. And that's going to help elevate ranking. But you got to be careful where you get the links from because guest posting, I get 
I don't know how many hundreds of emails a month from people saying, oh, I got guest posts and would you like to buy a guest post? And the biggest problem people make with that is they think it's a good deal because they look at the domain authority or the page authority and they go, oh, this is really good. The problem is, is if you're selling watches and you're on a generic website that talks about everything, there's real no value there because your audience isn't there, right? Right. And it doesn't mean that people are even visiting this website. You want your content, if you have to do guest posting or you want to get on a, some traffic or links from a website, you want to go somewhere where your audience is because don't rely on those links to boost your SEO. You want to put your content on websites where your audience is because at the end of the day, you want sales, you want visibility. The, to me, the links are like the least of what I care about because there's so many other things you could do today. Links, you could do a podcast, interview people, you'll get links, talk about topical things, become a leader in the space, share your information on forums and blogs and offer up content, your experience, and you'll get links that way. And you're more likely to get better quality links than just wasting your time and spending your money trying to get on links on websites where the audience just isn't there. Gotcha. Yeah, that brings up a great point. It's like, I was just going to ask about podcasts and like guest blogging, like how do you leverage that? So for instance, you know, I know a podcast is a link back, but say I wrote a guest blog for a magazine and they posted it there, but maybe a couple of weeks later, I want to post it on my site. Is that beneficial to you? Because doesn't Google look at like duplicative content and all that other stuff too? Right. Yeah. So that content, you're not going to rank for that content, right? The creator of the content is going to own that content and rank for that content, which is why you want to be careful when syndicating your own content. Because I worked with a publisher once who is big in the space. They're big on investing and they write about stocks all the time. And they hired me because they were telling, they were saying, you know, we write all this great content, but we don't show up in Google News. Why don't we show up in Google News? What was happening as soon as they published the content, they automatically passed it over to Yahoo Finance. And so when Google crawled it, Google was giving Yahoo Finance the credit, right? And so Yahoo Finance was getting all the traffic and they weren't. So the issue becomes like, what's more important to you? You know, getting on Yahoo Finance and getting the traffic or owning the content and then getting the content, you know, the traffic naturally to you. That's up for debate. But if you put content from another website on your website, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And you should always link back to the source. So Google knows like it came from this website and you're just posting on your website because you were interviewed or you were mentioned. I think that's all great content to have on your website because it lends to your credibility, right? I mean, I work with publishers all the time, Adweek, Muscle and Fitness, all these other big brands having association whatever company you website you've been on that kind of transpires over to you because if somebody knows oh you were on you know let's say you were on adweek you got interviewed on adweek putting that on your website saying hey i was mentioned on adweek or i did a ted talk or even here are all the podcasts that i've been on and interviewed on that adds credibility to you and where i may not have may not have direct impact on your rankings it still goes to your brand, right? Because Google, like years ago, we try to get domains with keywords in them, right? And some people still think like this is a thing and it's not. You can't get 
mykeyword.com and think you're going to just rank. That was dead a long time ago. What Google wants, Google wants brands. Google wants to know that you're a brand. Google wants to see people talking about your brand, not necessarily linking to you with keywords. They want to know, hey, Joe Balestrino is a brand because when I Google him, people are talking about him all the time and he's being mentioned here and there and they're mentioning me by my keywords and not necessarily by Google Ads expert or SEO expert because that's kind of sketchy. Yeah. And then a good way to track that when your brand is being mentioned, you could set up like a Google alerts or a Talkwalker alerts, right? And just get it to your inbox, get a feed going. Yeah. 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 Google alert is great for that. And then you can get updates whenever your brand's mentioned. And the good thing about that and why that's helpful is if you did get mentioned somewhere or someone did write about you, maybe they didn't link to you. So when you get those alerts, you go check them out and then you can go and see, oh, they mentioned me. That's great but then they didn't link back to you. And then you can go back to them and say, hey, I appreciate that you talked about me and you mentioned me. Is it possible that you can link back to my website? Because that'll help me out a lot, the traffic and all that stuff. Because you have follow links, no follow links. People say, oh, should all my links be no follow? Should my links be follow? To me, it shouldn't really matter because Google is going to want to see a mix anyway. So to me, it's like if they were all follow links, that would seem shady. And so to me, I just tell people, if you can get a link, and it's a credible site, get a link. doesn't matter if it's follow or no follow. The idea is we want Google to see that people are linking to us. And a lot of sites, sometimes by default, every link that goes out is no follow and there's nothing you can do about that. I wouldn't pass on a link because it was no follow. I would still want it. Got you. Because it's not like Google doesn't actually see that it's to you anyway, right? It's like they know what's going on. <laughs> so whether it's follow or no follow. But a lot of people misuse that. Right. If every link is an outgoing link that's blocked with no follow, that can actually hurt your website because to Google, the whole point of the no follow link is really to tell Google, I'm linking to the site, but I don't really vouch for it. So think about it. If every link that was going out of your website, you're telling Google you don't vouch for it, then what are you telling Google about you? You know what I mean? So to me, it's just like if it's a reputable website and you're linking to it, then link to it. If I mention Wikipedia in a blog post, I'm not going to no follow it. I'm going to link to it. And why would I put links on my website that I wouldn't find credible, right? You only do that for like sponsored posts or some kind of sponsorship or something. Then you would put the no follow link on there. But a lot of websites use that incorrectly. And so I think most of the time Google is probably going to ignore a lot of those. Awesome. That's a great point because it's like you, I, I'm reading that type of stuff nowadays. Like, hey, your link should be no follow if you're going off your website and all that other stuff. And so I'm glad you cleared that up, that people are using it incorrectly. It doesn't have anything to do with that. If it's a reputable link, put it on the follow so they know that you're linking them and everything else. So thank you for that. The other question that constantly is brought up with SEO, like I don't have the time to do it. How the heck do I find the person that actually knows what they're doing and doesn't just say they know SEO? Yeah, the best thing to do is to Google SEO expert or SEO company and see who comes up because those people who can rank themselves are probably, uh, when I get a lot of my business, people contact me because they Googled SEO expert New York or SEO expert New York City or whatever term they Googled, I come up. Then they're like, well, if this guy can rank himself, then I'm confident that he can rank me. If you're getting a cold email and something like that, or somebody's cold calling you, for me in business, and I'm doing this 20 years, 
it's always harder to sell somebody on something when you have to reach out to them. But if they find you, it's an easier sell. If somebody finds me, say, hey, Google SEO expert in New York, you popped up. I want to see what you can do for me. That's an easy sell. I'm not really selling you because the results sold you. So I would say, look at the results that people have gotten. If it's not for them, what have they gotten for their clients? And look at them. But you got to be mindful because it's tricky because you can rank a number one for a lot of keywords. But just because you rank number one for a lot of keywords doesn't mean that they're good keywords. So a lot of times when I take over accounts, I'll look at the keywords and I'll actually reduce the traffic. And you'll say, well, well, that's crazy when you want to grow the traffic because the keywords that they were going after were not the right keywords. And while they were generating a lot of traffic, then they weren't generating any business. Right. When you find the right keywords and you hone in on them, you may reduce the amount of traffic you get, but you've improved the quality. And now the output is better with the leads. Sometimes people, when they put their reports and say, oh, I ranked for number one for this, this, and this, it's hard to, you got to have to look a little bit deeper to see like, is this a keyword that was just easy to rank for? Because nobody's ranking for it because nobody wants to rank for it. And therefore it looks good on paper. So you got to sometimes do a, a little bit of due diligence when you're looking at those keywords. Gotcha. And I know that tools like SEMrush, you mentioned that earlier. They have it where you can actually see like how hard it will be to rank for that keyword, right? Like they have like the little metrics and stuff and tells you like what's hot, what's not. So could you use something like that to really pick which keywords you need to focus in on? Yeah. And the good thing about SEMrush is they also tell you the intent, right? Because there's different keywords have different intent, right? If I'm looking for an SEO expert, the intent there is probably transactional, but looking for how to hire an SEO expert that's more informational. So you kind of like have to, when you build your SEO strategy, you want to have a little bit of everything. You don't want to go all transactional. You don't want to go all informational, but you want to be able to make sure that you have a good mix of those and tools like SEMrush will, will kind of make it easier for you to identify what those keywords are. Perfect. And then when you have these keywords, so if, say I hired an SEO expert, would they actually go and change some of the content on my site? So I'll rank for that keyword? Some of them will. Some of them will optimize the content as they should. Typically what I do is I come up with the keywords, identify the keywords. And one thing I want to make sure I explain clearly is to make sure that they should change the content. So what I do is I typically do research to figure out, you know, are the keywords on the landing page the right keywords? Should I change those keywords? And what I was going to say when I lost my train of thought was, I like to see if there's conversion tracking set up in analytics so I can see are the keywords because back in the day, we used to know exactly what keywords with a landing page was ranking for and what those keywords were driving as far as conversions. Google took that away. And even though we have tools, we don't really know what key phrase actually produced the sale, right? Because Google doesn't give us that. And the tools that we have can only tell us the keywords that a page ranks for. So what I do is I look at the keywords that are there. If there's conversion data, that helps me. If not, I do my best guess to determine what keyword we should rank for and then optimize the title tags, the meta description, make some changes on the pages. And then what I'll do is I'll put the keywords in SEMrush, see how it performs, and then I'll go in and make changes as time goes by. But eventually at some point, 
the changes I can make on site are going to just halt, right? In the beginning, when you make changes, like if you look at SEMrush, you'll see like it'll just go up and down, up and down, up and down. But at some point, a keyword is going to flatten out or have minimal movement. That's when I know like I've hit the maximum I can do on a page as far as changing content. Then it's going to be, what can I do on page? Can I add a video? Do I need to get some links? What else can I do to improve the performance of the page? And where does it rank now, right? If I made all the changes I can make and I'm still on page three, then I need to come up with a different strategy. But if I'm on page one and I'm in position seven and I just can't move up, then it's like, what on-page factors can I do or what value can I add to that content to kind of keep people engaged so that I can leverage that signal to try to move me up in the rankings. Gotcha. And then is there some type of like hierarchy for, you know, what type of content is better? So does a video rank higher than like a blog post or some words or vice versa? I think it comes down to all of those things, right? Because a video by itself will never rank for anything because Google can't see what's in the video. So you need content there, right? So a lot of times you do transcriptions, but sometimes transcriptions don't really do a good job of describing what somebody's going to learn in the piece. So I like to write a blog post or do a video and then write a blog post around it so that people can read and see the video. So Google sees the content and then the video is for the user. So they're engaged. So if they don't want to read a 1200 word article, but they might be willing to sit through a five minute video, I rather than look at the five minute video because that's going to show Google that there's more time on page and that's going to help me rank that page. Perfect. Okay. That helps out a lot. <laughs> Is there anything like that the listeners should look out for that will absolutely like destroy their ranking on Google? Destroy? You mean in a good way or a bad way? In a bad way. Yeah. I mean, don't do anything that's shady. Like don't buy links. Don't do link farms. Don't fall for anything on Fiverr that's like super easy. Oh, we can rank you, you know, $20. We'll get you ranking. Like none of that stuff works. You just have to take the time to write good quality content. And whatever it is you're doing, whether you're selling slippers or you're a consultant, like you want to be the expert. You want to be the expert at choosing, like if you produce slippers or you have a, a product where you cook something, you make special kind of keto cookies or something, you're the expert and you want Google and everybody else to know when they think keto cookies that you want them to think about you and just focus on being the know-it-all when it comes to whatever it is that you offer. And like over time, like I've been ranking for SEO expert, like NYC for like the last 15 years. And I don't, I've redesigned my site like five times and it's like my homepage ranks for like 50 keywords. And it's not because I'm trying to rank for those keywords. It's just because over time, Google's kind of associated me with all of these different keywords. And so it thinks like I should rank for these keywords. So I try not to focus too much unless I'm really trying hard to rank for a keyword or a key phrase or a question that I think is going to generate business for me. But I think going out and trying to be an expert, getting on podcasts, like using Matchmaker to, if you're an expert in a certain field, go out and talk to people about what it is that you do. And you'll start getting notoriety. People will start linking to you and talking to you. You create your own podcast. I think people have to think about SEO instead of a silo of this one thing. 
you have to think about everything that you do online will affect your SEO and you should be working on your branding and who you are as a brand. And that's going to help you rank. Okay. Well said, man. Well said. So just do be you do natural and serve the way you can serve. And eventually you'll get up there. It sounds like you're saying there's no shortcuts, man. Big time. If you started doing something today and somebody has been doing it for 20 years, you're 20 years behind. Uh, right. So you're not going to just start tomorrow and just be like, oh, in three months, I'm going to be up there. It's They've been doing it 20 years. You got to catch up and you have to kind of forge your own path. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And absolutely. So we're going to kind of wind down a little bit, man. We're going to get to the three questions I ask every guest in the by design segment. You ready for them, Joe? I'm ready. All right. So the first question is, what has been the hardest part about designing a life and business you don't need a vacation from? What's the most difficult part? I guess staying interested. I've been doing this a long time. So for me, it's you have your good days and bad days. And some days they're great days. Like some days I can work 12 hours straight and they're like, oh, where the day went, where the day go? It was so fast. And some days it's just you're an hour and a half in and you thought you were six hours in. <laughs> right. And you're like, where's this day going? Like today I had like eight meetings. I got no work done. But I'm having fun. I'm enjoying it. And that's what I tell myself when, when things get tough, when you work for yourself, it's got its wins and rewards, right? I said this before. It's nice to be able to go one o'clock in the afternoon and go in the car and go get lunch and not have to worry about a boss being on my back. But at the same time, when you're an entrepreneur, there's no guarantee of what your income is going to be because it can fluctuate. And so you have that one edge of, oh, I got all this freedom. Or do I have all this freedom and should I, you know, there's that guilt of, should I be doing this right now or should I be working? But you're doing it for yourself. And when you work for someone else, it's always a drag because it's like, why am I busting my butt for somebody else? But when you bust your butt for yourself, it doesn't seem that bad. Feels different, right? Feels different. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think we all go through that struggle, Joe. <laughs> all right. Number two, what is the best lesson you've learned from your entrepreneurial journey? To keep trying new things. Like to me, it's, you know, like I said, I've been here a long time doing this. Even when I train people that are much younger or have less experience, I find that you can learn something from anyone, even if they have no experience or have very little experience. Like everybody's thought process is different. People bring different experiences. So I always like to hear what people do, what they do differently, or how they do something and try to take something away from that. Cause I feel like the more I learn, the better off I am. And I think if you just narrow and you just tunnel vision and your way is the only way, I don't think you can grow as a person or in business. Right. I love what you just said. You can learn something from everyone. And that's so true. Like it's impossible to know everything and they may do it a different way. And so you got to keep your eyes open. So I love that, Joe. That's a great little nugget right there. Joe, you just dropped. So number three, what are three tools or tips that you would recommend when it comes to scaling your business? Scaling your business, listen to podcasts, audiobooks, whatever information. I started buying books, Atomic Habits, You Can't Hurt Me, like all these kind of books. And I find like as much as I like to read, it's hard to make time to read, but it's easy to listen. Right. And so if you listen and absorb stuff, 
while you're doing other things, like things that you don't really need to think about. Like if I have to think about something, I turn everything off, music and everything, so I can concentrate. But we all have that work that we're just mindlessly going through it. And then I pop on an audio book, try to learn something, either a new business thing or a new personal thing. So I think like expanding your mind and listening to other things, you never know what you're going to learn. And it, it could be that one thing, it's kind of like experience that you don't have, but you can still gain by listening to someone else. Right. And then the second thing I would say is take courses. If you have time, there's a lot of free courses online that you can take learn something new or just understand how something works. Like you may not know how Google ads works, but you should open up an account and learn how to set something up just so that when you work with somebody who does do it, you have at least a basic understanding. You don't want to not know completely nothing about what you're hiring someone else to do. You may not be the expert, but I think you should at least know enough to understand what's being said or what's being done. Right. And then the third thing I can tell you is just don't take yourself serious. It's like, I can't tell you how many times I effed up stuff all the time and it just can't beat yourself up. You just say, you know, you messed up and just keep it moving because people say you've been doing this a long time. And it's like, this is not the only thing I've done. I've started other businesses and they've flopped. Right. I've managed millions of dollars. And I can tell you, a lot of clients have done great. I have a client now spending $5,000, making $40,000 a month. But I have clients in the past where I just didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know what the problem was. You just have to say to yourself, you're not going to know everything. Not everything is going to be a win. And you just take it what you can from it and you move on. But I would say don't beat yourself up over it and just kind of don't take yourself serious and enjoy what you do. Yes, sir. You know, entrepreneurs got to be like athletes. We got to Forget that last play and move on to the next, right? Exactly. Yes, sir. Well, it's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate all the gems you dropped on SEO. I love what you're doing. Would love to have you on at any time. And yeah, just keep ascending. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you once again for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. See you later. Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders, is brought to you by Bright Mind Consulting Group. To find out more about Bright Mind Consulting Group and how you can become the best leader possible, visit brightmindconsultinggroup.com. Make sure you search for Design Your Life and Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Bright Mind Consulting Group, we cannot thank you enough for listening.